Trade Square is Australia's first business-to-business marketplace connecting people, brands and organisations into this diverse ecosystem in a unique global landscape. Through pivoting, transforming and reshaping, Australian businesses have an opportunity to create the model for the future that aligns with the world's needs and leveraging the power of a collaborative approach. Through the Trade Square podcast, we will bring together dynamic, diverse and thought-provoking leaders from business, government and organisations to have conversations to further enable new thinking for the future. Welcome to Trade Square, Australia's leading business-to-business marketplace. I'm Catherine Vandermeulen and joining me today on the Trade Square podcast are the co-founders of Punct, Ifat Sherbin and Lee Linden. How are you both? Good, good. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, we are going to be exploring the world uh, of Punct and everything that you guys stand for and the wonderful work that you do. Uh, So I'd love if you could define Punct in five words uh, and what those would be. Um, Five words, it's a bit short. It's even shorter than an elevator pitch. So that's, (laughs) that's a challenge. But I think that if I have to really sum it up, what we do in Punct is we're turning online words into bottom line numbers. Uh, might be more than five words, but pretty close. Um, but yeah, that's what we basically do here in Punct. And so tell us about the work that you do at Punct and how the idea came about. So Punct was born out of um, a need that we found out in the market. We've been helping technology companies with uh, honing in their, their messaging for a few years and we found out that this work that we've done with them and the great work that they've done on their messaging and to be able to explain themselves better was great but none of that flew into the product and there was and there was uh, an inconsistency that happened there between what the user or the customer found when he was talking to the product to the sorry to the marketing collaterals and to the onboarding and then when he was talking uh, to the actual product where he was talking to a backend developer. And so there's a misconsistency in the user experience, but also there was a plunge in business metrics. And this is where we decided to come up with Punk that is focused on the UX writing that helps take in all that message and brain tone and style and also to settle the communication between the user and a digital interface, which is so important, especially now where our use of digital interfaces has increased so much. Um, and this is where the, the idea came about. And so most people know why messaging is so important, but why user experience writing UX, as you guys define it, and what role does it play? Um, look, at the end of the day, communication is a human instinct. And so as humans, uh, we're constantly looking to communicate uh, either with each other or with our environment. So we even talk to non-human things like our pets and our plants, and that includes our tech devices as well. So I'm sure you found yourself screaming at the computer at one point of time in your life. Now, the funny thing is that we actually expect those non-human things to communicate back to us as if they were humans. So to listen, to respond, to be in context, uh, to use the relevant words. And digital interfaces are no different in that sense, okay? So the UX writer or content designer, some people actually call it content designers, um, our job is to ensure that these interfaces are aligned to these inevitable expectations of humans. 
So as Lee said, our role as um, UX writer is to settle this communication between the users and the digital interfaces and to make them communicate with our users in, in as human as possible manner. And that means that the UX writers, as UX writers, we need to be able to use the right words at the right time in order to do things like reduce frustration, to build trust, to celebrate success, to help our users better understand the message, to easily and quickly complete tasks, to keep them motivated, basically to provide them with a, a, a positive experience. That's why it's user experience. Now, this then translates for, to the business, um, higher conversion rates, better retention, enhanced engagement, increased loyalty and advocacy, all those things that actually impact bottom lines. So that's why we, we, we see it as such an important role uh, in the entire messaging scheme of uh, things. And so thinking about from a business perspective, how do people know that they need help with UX writing and, and the messaging? Um, so there are, um, there are several symptoms, we'll call it, that <laughs> uh, if you experience them, it's probably a good sign that, uh, sign that you need help with uh, UX writing or messaging, depends on uh, where you are at your journey. Um, the first one being, uh, is it taking you too long to explain your business or your product to potential leads? Especially uh, if you have a very unique uh, offering or, or you're trying to differentiate yourself from the market, if you can't do it uh, and you find it hard, you probably need help uh, with messaging and then with UX writing to complete that. Uh, if your support team is busy answering the same questions over and over again, that probably mean, means that you have some kind of issue with explaining something in the user's journey uh, whether it's the product, how to use it, how to pay for it, anything that uh, keeps popping up at support team uh, over and over. Uh, we actually, when we work with companies, one of the first things we do is actually look at support tickets and talk to the support team because they have so much uh, insight uh, into what's going on in the business. Uh, people don't even realize that. Um, if your leads or customers or users uh, seem to get stuck at a specific point in the funnel, that's also a good sign. That means that something is bothering them. They have bar barriers that you need to break or something again that they don't understand. Uh, if your brand speaks one way, like Lee said, and then your product sounds completely different. Like if you're um, visiting a website and it's all nice and flowy and you meet this beautiful brand persona tone and style that um, the marketing department kind of like designed, but then your product sounds like the backend developer, you probably need help with uh, your experience. Uh, writing and I guess the last one is uh, if you're not too sure what microcopy is all about and what UX writing is all about then that's probably a good time that you need help with uh, UX writing <laughs> in a way there are so many interesting interesting layers in there and really how do you you know understanding more about how you actually understand where those blockages are or where those problems are you know, just by understanding, you know, the tickets in the back end of the of the system, as you said, or, you know, where those barriers are from a customer perspective and where those blockages are, those things are such a wealth of information and data and then becomes a great opportunity to be able to kind of read between the lines of how you could convert that from a challenge to an opportunity. Yeah, definitely. That, that's what we love about this work so much, <laughs> the challenge. And so you talk a lot about how words impact bottom lines. Can you give us some examples? Sure. I, I guess you can look at big companies like Google. Um, a few years back, they changed the call to action on their hotel booking 
from Book a Room to, I think it was, uh, look at the options or in, check, investing, availability. check availability. Yeah. To check availability. And just those two words on the call to action have increased engagement rates by 17%. The reason being is that the Google team realized that people are not ready to book a room yet. They want to check the rates. They want to check the dates. And obviously, the button really didn't take you to book a room. So it shouldn't say it. People kind of knew that, but they were hesitant to click on it. And those two words made such an increase. And also, we can give you an example from our world where we helped um, an amazing company called Exceptional that are uh, doing recruiting for uh, tech jobs for people on the autistic spectrum. And uh, they were having a hard time getting the autistic people to sign up, having that the way they communicate with people and with digital interfaces is different. They're very tech savvy and they were very hesitant to provide their details online. And so we've learned the way that they communicate, the language that should be used, and we've built kind of a wizard where they can fill in the details. And um, that increased inquiries by tenfold. So there are, sometimes you just need to understand the language, how to speak, and sometimes it is how to say things differently, even though it means the same thing. But always, the impact is always, you will see it very quickly in engagement, you'll see it very quickly in completion of tasks, or you'll see it very quickly in the, in the fact that people are coming back. So these two examples, I think, kind of, I think are very general, but you can see examples for even smaller things of like having a few colors, you know, option of colors on a retail shop just the colors or having a little word under them stating the actual name of the color you can see people are having it uh, more easy to choose understanding what they're going to get and less returns etc and support super interesting and so when should organizations um you know when should a writer get involved well ideally um as soon as possible i mean uh for us content precedes design and design and content are not competitors. They are completing elements in the user experience design. Um, however, if you design first, and you, which is something a lot of companies still do, they design and they use a dummy text. So you see a lot of lurum ipsum. And then the writer comes along, but then they are forced to write into a specific space. Or uh, there might be a section where a sentence is needed or a tooltip to help the user understand what's happening there, or even an FAQ should be there, but there's no space for it in the design. And then they edit and it starts to look like patchwork. So ideally you'll have the writer as early in the process as possible. Having said that, no one lives in an ideal world. So anytime in the process, you can involve the UX writer. And it's, again, it can be that you find out that support tickets keep coming back. Instead of you know, rushing to the back end, you can just have the writer come in and see if they can tweak something. Uh, so at any point, you can call the writer in. And so thinking about the things that you were passionate about through your work, and we can feel you know, through your conversation, through this conversation of how passionate you are about this, but what's that one thing that you are championing through your work that you are truly passionate about? Uh, that would definitely be how powerful words can be. Uh, we think a lot of businesses, as Lee just said, turn to designers or backend developers to solve issues that could have been easily solved just using words, right? So I think businesses underestimate the impact words can have 
and how you can harness the power of words to get the desired action, behavior, and experiences out of every customer touch point. So that's why when you asked me to explain punk in five words, I told you that it's for me, it's all about turning online words into bottom line numbers. That, that's what we advocate for. And I think that piece around moving people to change their behaviors, you know, that to have that desired action, or do we kind of need to start from that part of understanding what that behavioral change is that we're wanting to achieve or what that desired action is, and then working back from that to really understand what is that experience that they're going to need to create that desired action or outcome? Do you work in that way where you kind of think about the end result first and then coming back through what that journey then needs to be? Definitely. This is the way we work. If we, if we write an interface for a financial solution, we take into consideration that the common people like us, the everyday person, uh, is not very savvy with mortgages or superannuation and they kind of hesitant to deal with it, but they have to. And so we take into consideration where do they want to get where do we want to help them uh, get to? And then we go back to, okay, so how are we going to design it? We actually look at five main components, which we call them the A, B, C, D, E of UX writing. A for audience, so understanding who we're talking to. B is the brand, understanding who is talking. C is the context. It's kind of like understanding where this conversation takes place. Are they in the FAQ section? Are they onboarding? Are they about to pay? And then D is the desired outcome, and we're focusing on what the user wants to achieve here. It also relates to what the business wants to achieve, but if we focus around their, their desired outcome, we're most likely to achieve our goals as well. And then E, most, most important, is the experience. How do we want them to feel at the end of this conversation? So yes, to your questions, we look at the behavior first. A is always the audience. And so this year, Trade Square has been connecting to women who choose to challenge in their roles. How do you both choose to challenge? <laughs> it's a very interesting question. Uh, we're actually just working on a project with that, which that perspective. Uh, I don't know if you picked up from our accent, but we are bilingual. <laughs> um, and so we are doing a project in uh, Hebrew. And Hebrew is a gender-oriented language. And it's very common to use the male way of saying things. And we've challenged the interface to be completely non-gender it's a very challenging work in terms of writing because the spoken language and also the written one and for years and years and years everybody's spoken in the male way of saying things and it's really changing the way we speak but also not making it sound too you know like we worked on it too much it needs to sound natural so people could still relate to the conversation that's happening but then not feel excluded if i say uh, you want, but it speaks in a, in a male way, I don't feel included in it. And so we challenged it to be that everybody's included there, regardless to the fact of who they are and what's their gender. Wow. Can you just explain to us what gender-oriented language really means? Because obviously that translates, <laughs> into, that translates into every language. Well, there are many languages that are gender-oriented. Um, the example would be if I tell you in Hebrew, want to join, that would be applicable to both men and women. However, there are languages where you say want to join differently for men and women. And so I don't want anyone to think they can't join. Same with um, a lot of other words. 
I think it's a bit hard to translate because in Engli- mm-hmm. English is not a gender-oriented language, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in, in English, you, you just have the word you and you correlates to both male and female. Whereas in Hebrew, for example, uh, you have you for female and you for uh, male and it's a different you. And okay. also you so. for plural women and you for plural yep. men. Very interesting. We also love to learn about different cultures and then how you then translate some of those interesting <laughs> learnings, you know, into uh, into the work that you do every day. So thank you both so much for sharing your world and your wisdom from the world of punt. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. For more information on TradeSquare, head to www.tradesquare.com.au and support Australian business economic recovery and growth with a collaborative approach to the future of business. Mm